0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Tunnel Vision, a show brought to you by USCfootball.com. I'm your host, Keely. You're joined not by shotgun Spratling. Uh, you might remember this guy, former USC safety, three-time Hello, All-American. Everybody, and welcome to another uh, edition of oh. Taylor oh. a show brought to you by. Sorry about that. We got technical issues all yeah, over we're, the we're, place. We're, we're, we're Taylor, building. you're
2: coming into a professional organization here. Oh man. Hey, it happens sometimes. Yeah.
3: It happened to us on Saturday.
1: It's <laughs> <laughs> easy. And then joined by Ryan Abraham. Taylor, thanks so much for filling in for Shotgun.
3: Hey, you know I, I It's hard to you can't just fill in for somebody named Shotgun with. The name Taylor, so true. I thought of a nickname. You guys
2: would just call me Squirt Gun. <laughs> <laughs> I look nice. a little different, but you know, just call me Squirt like Gun instead going. of Shotgun. Perfect. Yeah, I, don't, I don't think of you and Squirt. Like, I think you're, you know, there's... I yeah, think I know, you should but, you have you know, the more Shotgun. He would be the dude. Squirty, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I'm just trying to show some respect. Oh, got he's not I know he's not watching us. He's watching his Falcons right true, now, so... True, You don't have to respect We can say whatever you know. we want about Shotgun. Oh, I got you. I got you. True,
1: true. But we have a interesting show today. We have a lot to talk about. USC loses in overtime to BYU 3rd to 27 in Provo. A lot to talk about. We also heard from Clay Hilton on Sunday today uh, in his nightly conference call. He kind of said some of the same things he said in post-game. We'll break that down. Uh, get your reactions too, wherever you're watching this. YouTube, Periscope, Facebook. I think we're having some problems. Apologies. I'm gonna try and fix that a little a, in a little bit, but uh, put your comments, questions, concerns, we'll answer them and put them on the show. Also, you can call us if you have a rant. You can always rant to us. <laughs> rant we're, away. We're, we're your cheap therapy Five one two four tunnel Call us and we'll put you on the show. But guys, I mean, where do we begin, Ryan? Let's hear your thoughts first. What did you take away mm. from Saturday's game?
2: Yeah, it wasn't a great effort yeah. uh, overall. I think the, the funny thing is if you go back and listen to our Tunnel Vision show, if you go back to listen to our pregame show that we do on KABC Radio, and actually, yeah, Taylor was on with, with Keely. That was a I great must thing. say,
1: Taylor and I pretty much nailed it. Nailed it. Taylor had some great analysis there and predicted this.
2: Make sure you check it out. So we so we put that up on Friday at midnight. Uh, it'll go up on a podcast form, but it's on live here in Los Angeles, KABC, 790 AM. This week it'll be Thursday at 11 PM if you want to listen to it live on the radio, but the podcast will be up. But it's a great one-hour pregame show if you want to listen to. And I think we we kind of nailed a lot of the stuff there where we felt like, hey, uh, Zach Wilson is a really good quarterback. He's mobile like, uh, uh, like a like Jorge Reyna was for – Um, Fresno State in the early game. I think he's a little bit better than that. They were calling him like the Mormon Manziel. But he was also a much more accurate passer, and he could take advantage uh, of of the USC secondary where some guys were open and the quarterback couldn't hit the ball. We thought they could do that. We thought they would drop back into coverage, eight-man coverages and three-man fronts. And I think that's exactly what happened. And there was a problem with, hey, Keaton Slovis was really good facing a kind of stubborn Stanford team that would play a lot of man-to-man and didn't have the athletes to hang with USC's wide receivers. Now you're talking about flooding zones and guys are dropping back. And is Keaton going to be – and I, I think I said this on the show on uh, Thursday when we were previewing it, you know, following a receiver on a little slant route and he doesn't see the the Come linebacker the drop backside, back. Yeah. And, and you throw it to him. And that happened. So I feel like a lot of the stuff we felt that was a potential yeah. for problems in this game came true. USC turns the ball over three times. BYU doesn't do it once. And we knew BYU would be up for this game. And they certainly were. So yeah. – but Clay talked about, you know, games being one in the trenches. He, I know Keeley was talking about this before we went on the air about how he was praising, how the linemen played against Stanford. and They did play really well. Well, they got pushed around in this they game. Did. And typically, the toughest team wins, and USC wasn't the toughest team on Saturday. No,
3: USC definitely wasn't the toughest team. And football is a physical game. If you do anything, you have to be physical, especially up front. And, you know, we have tough guys up front, but they weren't tough yesterday. And it's just one... Keely and I spoke about it uh, on Friday. This was a trap game. Historically, in college football for USC, these types of games are the toughest types of games to play in, especially coming off of a big win against Stanford. And we were actually more concerned about this game and this being a test for our team, for Keaton. And obviously, we struggled. And I'm actually, I said this to you earlier, I was actually a little bit glad that we lost instead of winning in the end, just because guys really have to swallow what happened go back, really analyze themselves, analyze the team, and really get ready for next week because next week's going to be no joke.
1: I guess my question is, can you label this a trap game if this is just how we've seen this team perform when they go on the road? I mean, Clay Hilton's teams haven't really performed well on the road. We heard the same things from Clay. We'll look at the tape. We'll correct our mistakes. It was a a game lost on one play when it really wasn't. I guess my point is the errors we saw in this game are – fundamental there are there are things that need to be fixed so is this really a trap game or is this just how this team is going to be when facing tough opponents and in the next three games it's going to get tougher each game
3: well I personally see it as a trap game because we're USC they're BYU if you look at the two universities historically I give you this BYU's fans ran on the field after the game yeah fans only do that when they know that they've beaten a university or a team that they don't necessarily expect to beat we were ranked there was a, a lot of good news coming out of Los Angeles for this football team this past week. Obviously, we're in a different position now. And so to me, it's a trap game. And it's a game, it's a type of game that every great team deals with in their season. And it just, it's really shows kind of, like we said a couple of days ago, the character of the team. And we'll see the character again moving forward.
2: I think, no, I think it was, I feel it was a trap game mostly because of the, what was surrounding yeah. this game. I mean, coming out of Stanford, there was this enormous high. So you, do, you already had this kind of euphoric reaction to a huge win, especially you had the super long offseason where everyone just talked about five and seven. The Fresno State game was a win, but it was like a meh. No one felt good. Yeah. They finally felt good about a game against Stanford that we now know they are a little bit of a paper tiger. They're not yeah. that good of a team. So you yeah. had that element. And then the following element of knowing that you have Utah, which is the most important game on the schedule coming up, And then two really tough road games. You could see why mentally, if you're a 19-year-old kid, this might be a game uh, you overlook. But, Keely, I think your point's valid, too, that there's fundamental problems with this team. That doesn't necessarily mean that the reason why they lost is because they overlooked BYU or anything like that. I I feel like you're going to see some more losses on the schedule because a lot of the problems that we saw with this team, I think that we felt were addressed, maybe were somewhat, but not completely fixed. We, we thought going into the season, that like, I think Clay Hilton made a lot of good changes. Probably we, we said from the beginning, not enough. But the changes he made, I felt were pretty good. But we're not seeing all of them come to fruition. Like, the, the penalties are better. There's yeah. fewer penalties. But they're, like, more catastrophic yeah. for whatever reason. Um, the offense is not – I mean, it should have scored more points against BYU. Like, I expected more of that. I thought the punting game would be a game changer, and that's not been as yeah. good with Ben Griffin. So I think there's a lot – you know, we talked about strength and conditioning. I mean, Aaron Osmond's sat right here. I'm buying in. I'm like, I, I like what he's, what he's bringing to the table. Maybe it's the altitude or what, but it looked like the guys were a little bit gassed in, in that game. So all the changes we felt that were there, like I think they've got better, but they haven't like, they weren't like 100% fixed the problems. Yeah. And so you're going to still have these kind of issues, especially on your first road game. Yeah, we, This is things that hopefully,
3: any team struggle throughout the season. The great teams are able to address the things that they struggle with and then fix them. So moving forward, hopefully Clay and his coaching staff can figure out what they need to do also as coaches, what they need to do differently yeah. and start um, changing the drills. I don't know, switching some things up because we have to play better. The guys need to be in better shape. It's tough playing in altitude. I know sometimes it's, is that a real thing or not? It's a real thing. <laughs> it's, it it gets tough. You You – it's – you might think it's mental, but it is a factor. And uh, hopefully our guys can just continue to really address the problems and figure out what each guy needs to do individually moving forward.
1: Taylor, when I was talking to you earlier in the week, you were saying that these were the type of games that you're, the teams you were on lost. So in the aftermath, what does a Sunday look like after a game like that or, or the next week? Well, like what, what is it like inside the locker room?
3: Well, it's a completely different attitude, mindset. It's, it's tough. It seems like you go from the, hi- the highest of the highs to the lowest of the lows. You can't wait to at least get back to practice because that's when you can start to feel normal again. Everything, it feels like your world's ended. Yeah. And then at least once you can start to go back to practice, you know, put on the pads, get into drills, you start to feel normal again and you're working towards your next goal. And so that's what I hope for these guys to do. We've talked about it a lot, just treating losses and wins the same and really having the same attitude. And I just wish that coming off of Stanford, uh, Coach Helton would have been able to really convey that to the team. We have to treat the wins and losses the same. And not I don't think it was Coach Helton's fault personally, but I just think that it was a accumulation of a lot of different factors, the media, fans, just really hyping up this team. And in reality, they really needed to be humbled. Because I'm glad it at least happened now rather than happening later on in the season.
2: Yeah. Keeley. one of the things on the, real quick on the conference call, I mean, Clayton says some interesting stuff sometimes. and It it could rub the fans uh, the wrong way. One of the things he talked about after five and seven being retained was he was comparing this team to Notre Dame from a couple years ago where they went four and eight and Brian Kelly completely, you know, fired his (laughs) coaching staff or got rid of most of everyone or people left and replaced everybody. And that, that didn't happen with USC, there, was some, you know, there were some guys that were replaced, but it wasn't like a wholesale... Two of the three coordinators were back, things like that. Yeah. It wasn't wholesale changes. Uh, one of the ones he mentioned today I thought was interesting was... And he said this after... As soon as he said that after the game, where he talked about he thinks that this team could be special, and it, it reminded me of 2016 after the Utah game. Yeah. When he was saying that, and where that was Sam Darrell's first start, they ended up losing on the road at Rice-Eccles, and then they went on a nine-game winning streak and won the Rose Bowl, but... I was thinking about that as soon as he said it, Keely, and then he mentioned it again today on the... But specifically, he talked about Utah in 2016. So it's like, you kind of want him to give, give him the benefit of the doubt because, hey, that's actually true. That did true. happen. Happened in, yeah. Yeah. But that was with Sam Darnold, and that was with the hard part of your schedule over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, This is the hard part of the schedule coming up, and you don't have Sam Darnold. So I think that might set up expectations a little bit too high for this team where you're saying like, Hey, we can go on a run yep. like 2016. I think the, if they do, it's amazing. Cause it's going to be a really, you know, Utah, Washington, Notre Dame, you beat those three teams. Like, Hey, hats off clay. Everything you said is correct. Yeah. But short of that, you know, they go one and two over that stretch or Oh and three or something. Then it's like, I, I don't know why you're making that comparison. Yeah, you know I, what I mean? I agree with the mindset in principle. Cause
3: you want to keep, You want guys to look forward and you want to keep the spirits up. But in reality, we need to get our guys playing on a week-to-week basis and just get them focused on Utah. We don't need to worry about winning eight or nine games in a row. Let's just beat Utah. Let's do what we have to do today being Sunday after the game. Let's do what we have to do on Monday and really just work on things in order because – that's really how you build, in my opinion, the right attitude and mindset and overlooking things like, did we overlook BYU? I don't know. But I know that if you focus on the task at hand, that gives you the best opportunity to really relish the moment and take advantage of the opportunities that are immediately in front of you. And so, yeah, I would love to go on a 9-0 run from this point on. However... Let's just beat Utah. Let's focus on what we need to do to beat Utah. Let's focus on having a great practice this week, being physical in practice this week, and really not missing any opportunities to get better this upcoming week.
1: And, Taylor, when you mentioned how it was when you played, you just wanted to get the pads back on. Some of the players we talked to after the game were actually thankful that it's a short week, a short turnaround, because they can maybe get this bad taste out of their mouth earlier. Yeah. But how do you turn it around this quickly when – Utah's essentially uh BYU, but better. You know, it's yeah. it's a better team. And and yeah. we knew coming into the season this Utah game was important. It usually decides Definitely. what's gonna happen in the South, but now it's just a must win game. What's how do you make those quick adjustments and how do you figure out how to get this offense going, fix the the issues on the defense? How do you do that in such a short week?
3: Well, it's hard, but that's that's football. True. These guys, 18 to 22, they're not 30-year-old, 10-year veterans in the NFL. Their bodies are still relatively fresh. So they just have to do the small things like taking care of your body, getting in the cold tub, hopefully they're eating healthy, doing the little things. And a lot of older guys like myself or guys that have played even longer than me or before me will say the same thing. So hopefully these guys are listening to the advice from the coaches, from uh, other players, because those things really count when you add them up in addition with, you know, working hard in practice and, and really just taking care of your body. And as you go forward in the season, your health is really the main factor. Sometimes guys' bodies break down in, in a quick turnaround, uh, six, six days into yeah. the next game. Uh, you have to do those small things. And it really just goes to the same mindset that I was speaking about earlier, about really doing every little thing you can. And just really taking advantage of it because it sounds simple in principle, but in reality, it's really hard because you have to consciously be uh, aware of every little thing that you're doing.
1: And you mentioned injuries, just a quick injury update that we got from Clay Hilton tonight. Uh, Christian Rector uh, was a game time decision coming into BYU. We knew that, but they said it was just too close of a call for to let him play. They said it was, they didn't have enough confidence in that ankle for him to play. And now it's still wait and see whether or not he'll be good for Utah. And as far as Greg Johnson of uh, the nickel, he had a tough hit and I believe in the first half and he's had sh- shoulder surgery mm-hmm. and, uh, Clay said it's TBD right now. They're going to know more on Monday. But the fact that they don't know right now suggests that it probably isn't good news. So something to watch for. But we'll find out more on Monday. Uh, But what do you guys take away from this defensive performance? I know a lot of people were hard about what they saw. But granted, with three turnovers, only 10 points uh, coming off of those turnovers, where do you lie in this defensive performance?
2: Yeah, I mean, I'll start real quick. I mean, two couple short fields for BYU early after USC turned the ball over. Giving up three, would well, they give up three uh, offensive touchdowns? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, it, it wasn't, I don't think it was a great defensive performance. Yeah. Travis, I mean, I keep calling Travis, uh, Zach Wilson. I said that before. Zach Wilson, <laughs> you know, he was an effective quarterback. He probably looked the best he did all year. Um, and he was looking really good at the end of last year. And I think he kind of got back to that form a little bit. But, you know, he didn't run for, he only ran for like 30-something yards and he had some sacks or whatever. But there's, you know, he had that nice run, the touchdown run and stuff up the middle. There were some broken plays. There were some, some issues. But I thought it was a good enough defensive performance to win the game. Like, you should have scored more points than that. You know, especially when you talk about, you know, offense that turned the ball over three times. So the defense kind of got a lot of flack on Twitter. Fire, yeah. Clancy Pendergast, all that stuff. I'm like, I don't think it was a great performance, but it wasn't like, a, I didn't think it was a terrible performance. Yeah. No, I, I'll say this in defense of
3: some of the uh, DBs. Chase Williams, there was a play, touchdown pass. That's a hard play. He didn't play it wrong. It looked like he was good coverage. Yeah, yeah. it it wasn't a bad play. And the reason I say I'm okay with it is because when you get beat on a pass like that, sometimes there's nothing you can do. And defensive coordinators will say, hey, if they're going to beat us, let them beat us by actually beating us. Let's not beat ourselves. So there were some throws that Zach Wilson made that were great throws. Yeah, especially that was like a perfect throw, perfect catch. Exactly. And uh, another one was – against Elijah on the outside. I think he got a pass interference called on him. But those are the ty- if you're going to lose a game, let's lose on those type of plays. I was more upset with some of the run plays that it looked like our front seven were getting punked a little yeah. bit. Yeah, And I understand, look, defense is hard. It's hard. Being physical and just punching somebody every single play is a tough thing to do. But in reality, it's a mindset. Defense is a mindset, it's an attitude. You have to carry that attitude all the time. It never leaves you. You have to get your mind into that mindset of being a bad man on the football field. It's just reality. Run as fast as you can. And hit and, <laughs> hey, hey, that's run as fast as you can. Run directly into them and then just see what happens. That's my favorite thing to do. <laughs> the Taylor Mays motto. Hey, that just just see what when happens. You put it that way.
2: Like that's not easy. Run to into do, yeah. them full speed yeah. and
3: just see what happens. But that's I, like I've been to practice. I've been to uh, the games. I like our guys on defense. I like their attitude. I just think. They need to be guided in the right way and have the right attitude when it comes to playing defense, because we're going to get beat. Our corners are going to get beat. Corner is probably the hardest position besides quarterback, because I'm guarding you. I have to be directly on you and follow you everywhere you go. A perfect throw can still beat me. Yeah. And I was just more disappointed in the run game, our defensive run game, and really just we look tired out there. I know that happens. It's happened to me before. It's happened to the greatest of the great players that have ever been to USC. But that just disappointed me more, and I would hope that our guys have a sour taste in their mouth. And a great defense, it's not going to sit well with them. Yeah. They're going to be doing everything they can this week to come out and say, hey, that's what we put on film last week. That's not what we're about as a defense. So we'll see moving forward. Yeah.
2: I mean, I thought a little bit a better defensive performance, you'd probably win this game. Like, But I think th- there was a lot more, like, uh, left a lot of points left on the table, I think, yeah. by the offense. I think the offense yeah. had more of yeah. a well, share in this. one. the special teams were bad, too. So
1: Yeah, and Juliana Ju- Falunico gets a late special teams penalty that doesn't help the defense either. But, Ryan, I was going to ask you about this offensive performance. I know Harvey Hyde had some some hot takes about it. He called it one-dimensional. What do you take away from this air raid? Did you think it – the Game plan kind of changed once Keaton throws two interceptions at that point in the game.
2: It seemed like it. You know, and I think what we saw against Stanford was good because it was like a bounce back from, okay, let the guy, you know, you let him throw eight times in the second half against Fresno State, and they were going to run the ball. And he came out just throw it against Stanford, had a lot of success, and you felt like, okay, this is what this offense is going to be. It's going to be simple, quick reads, make the right throws, make the right decisions, and let your guys make plays. And they were doing that. And then I felt like they sort of got away from that. They let BYU dropping a lot of guys in the coverage affect how they were going to call the game. And they yeah. basically what BYU was trying to do was take something away. Yeah. And not only did USC let them take it away, then they they went to something else that they didn't necessarily want to do, yeah. and they didn't do it that effectively. Something we're talking about the run game that you know the other teams that Tennessee and Utah ran all over this BYU front. So you're talking about three, you know, four or five guys in the box, three men fronts that yeah. were getting pressure on the quarterback when he would drop back which is bad and then not really open up, you know, gaping holes to run through either. So to me it's like if you're if you're talking about strategy and you're writing things down there's a game plan and and BYU's defensive room is going like we want to make sure we take away, you know, that they can't just throw easy passes to Tyler yeah. Vaughn's and Michael Pittman and stuff. It's like if you take that away, that's fine. You shouldn't I don't think they should be able to take it away completely, but then you have to be able to exploit it in other ways. And the fact that they weren't able to do that is a little concerning uh, for me because that's this is supposed to be something where an offense you can tailor to what the defense is giving you. Yeah. And it seemed like this was a game that was run on that side of the ball on BYU's terms and not USC's terms. And with the kind of athletes the USC has and the new game plan, which you know the new offense which I like, I didn't expect to see that. So I was a little shocked that they weren't able to to do more. Yeah, I was a little confused. They had three down linemen. Sometimes they would
3: walk fourth, and you would count a fourth down lineman, but. If I'm a defense coordinator and I have a freshman quarterback, I'm going to drop all my guys in the coverage and I'm going to make him beat me. I'm going to make him go through his route progression. And that's exactly what they did. And we spoke about this also. It just was a completely different look for Keaton this game. Being a quarterback in an opponent's stadium is completely different than playing at home. The snap cadence is different. Sometimes you have to go on no snap count, it it, just, it is completely different. And this is one of the experiences that Keaton is going to have to go through in his progression to become a great quarterback. It, it's It's a lot easier to play at home, and you don't have to worry about the sound. But when you're on the road and you have to worry about a silent snap count or flashing your hands to the center, doing small things like that, that makes a huge difference. And BYU said, hey, we're just going to drop eight guys and make you either have to look them off Go through your progression. I was upset that we didn't just run the ball down their throat. Four yards a game, five yards a game. Why not?
2: If that's what they're going to give us, let's run it down their throat. USC ran for like 3.8 yards a carry. 45 carries, 171 yards. Like, That's pretty bad. Clay Hilton was saying they ran the ball well. The numbers were not good If the number of times you ran the ball and how effective you were. So that's a problem. The other teams that that, uh, BYU faced ran for over 250 yards. USC had a lot of rushing attempts and just not—it just didn't bear a lot of fruit. Yeah, it would have been a great time just to establish
3: ourselves as a dominant physical football team. They're going to give us a three-man front. Let's just run it down their throat. Yeah. Why not? And that really would have – maybe then they would have had to bring somebody else down to the box, play man on the outside, do something different. If they're going to give us that and try to control the game, let's make them pay for it. Right. And it didn't really work out like that. So yeah. that was disappointing.
1: So in that sense, do teams now have a blueprint on how to shut down this team, this offense, and relatively this defense as well?
3: Well, of course they do because any team, teams look at what their opponents do well and don't do well. And sometimes teams try to copycat. It's copycat league. They do small things like that. So to an offense coordinator, a defense coordinator, you have to fix those things because if you don't, teams will exploit you. Yeah. And that happens across college football, across the NFL. That's just one of those things where a team might try us on that, and if we don't show
2: that we've gotten better at it, they'll keep doing it to us yeah. until we fix it. Yeah, I'm curious yeah. to see what a team like Utah does, because when they're they're such a good defensive team, probably mm-hmm. the best defensive line in the conference, like you play at Cal that has like the best secondary in the conference. Like Sometimes they're going to do what they're going to do, but they might see the BYU tape and say, yeah. "Hey, we don't normally don't do this, but we're going to drop eight guys back in yeah. the coverage. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, to your point, I think you do have a blueprint there, but some of the teams might be good enough defensively that they're yeah. just going to do what they do and and maybe make an adjustment. Like, you know what, this isn't working. They got great wide receivers and they're they're beating our coverage. We're going to drop more guys and make the true freshmen kind of make reads. And that's you know a lot of it I think is on Keaton Slovis to make sure that he does progress and he's like, okay, I've seen this kind of. Defense before this is a lot different than place than, than you know one on one guys trying yeah. to cover all my wide receivers. This is different, so I need to like maybe find something down the field or look a guy off. I can't stare down the yep. guy in the middle because we were talking about you know Taylor was talking about this before we went on the air. Yeah, you're a linebacker. You're sitting there looking at his eyes, and you're not you're not in man to man running around with him. You're watching him, and if the guy they he's throwing to is right next to you, you can jump right in front of it, and yeah. like that kind of stuff would happen.
1: Yeah. Um, I'm going to get to some questions soon just because we have a lot of thoughts and takes that, that we should put on the show. But also let's go to callers because we have three on the line right oh, wow. now. Okay. Let's go to our first caller. Hello, you're live on t- Tunnel Vision. Hi, this is Jeff from Connecticut. Hey, Jeff. What's up, Jeff?
4: Hi. question is, uh, it seems to me the defense's biggest problem is they can't protect the edge. Uh, and they can't tackle when they get close to a running quarterback. And overall, it just seems like a lack of maybe a, a, an execution problem, but there's just a lack of defense, a lack of speed amongst the defensive linemen.
3: Can I answer that? Yeah. So, Jeff, it's funny that uh, you asked that question because I was talking to uh, one of my best friends and a former USC Trojan, Thomas Williams, a linebacker, uh, a couple hours ago. And we were talking about how Zach Wilson was running around back there and how he would take off uh, and pass the line of scrimmage, and nobody was really hitting him. And as a defensive player, when the quarterback's running with the ball, your mind goes into, let's try and knock him out mode. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it, you, obviously, you don't want to intentionally hurt somebody, but you want to physically intimidate yeah. somebody. You want to make them think Especially twice a about running again. Exactly. Because yeah. the quarterback's the one player on their team that you can get into his head. So you want to give him everything (laughs) you got. And there were several examples in the game where I was disappointed in how our guys on defense hit their quarterback. It looked like, I don't know what they were thinking. Maybe they were thinking that he was going to slide or something like that, which I can understand. But if you get a chance to take a shot on a quarterback, you got to take it. And to go to Jeff's question about the perimeter, we've talked about this. Any defensive coordinator will tell you, if you can't play defense on the perimeter and set the edge, you can't play defense. That is one of the, the crucial things of any defense, that and accountability. And I don't know if the guys on the defense right now really understand what accountability is because to me, accountability is, if you're my teammate, I'm going to do everything I can not to let you down because I don't want to sit in that meeting on Sunday and you look at me and say, or, no, you won't say it, but, and think, man, Taylor didn't do his job. I won't be that person. I know that some of the uh, best guys, best players that I've ever been around, they had that mindset. Our guys need to be accountable. They need to be held accountable, especially for something as crucial as letting the ball get outside. You. If you have one job, do your job. Yeah. And so that's, that's something that I think needs to be addressed it should have been addressed a long time ago i'm sure they're getting yelled at in the meetings about it so i would hope that that can be fixed because if we could fix anything let's fix
2: that first and then go from there yeah they were running some like kind of option stuff that yeah. was wide i think I, there was one play you know and having like a christian rector out uh, i mean he had some issues with some of the edge stuff too but mm-hmm. you had connor murphy in there i remember one of the plays where i think he he crashed inside and didn't take the back and the, it was pitched out and yeah. then get a big play Um, So, I mean, there's stuff like that's going to happen, but I I agree, Jeff. Yeah, there's the edge defense has to be a little bit better, but without, you know, I I like the fact that they're rotating eight guys on the front, but I think without Rector that hurt the rotation a little bit and then they were getting a little winded. So I think that might've had a factor too.
1: Thanks Jeff for the call. Let's move on to our next caller in a second. Hi, you're live on tunnel vision. Oh, you're not live anymore. They Let's go to our next. They have Call T-Mobile. It. <laughs> 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 no offense to you.
5: Hello, you're live on Tunnel Vision. Hi guys, Eddie from Whittier. Uh what's up? Uh tell, uh what's going on guys? Uh, I was just calling cuz I'm kind of upset. Um I'm sure we a lot of us are, but the reason I'm calling is cuz um I called him last week and I talked about consistency. Um there was no consistency. Um it's kind of like we take like Ryan said, we take one step forward, two steps back. Um, the adjustments on tackling? I know last week it was uh, brutal on a lot of missed tackles, a lot of, I don't know, it's like air tackling or something. I don't know. There's, our RT line looks like they kind of going to get a sack, and then all of a sudden they're just like falling on the floor. I don't know what's going on, but um, it, it kind of looks silly. It's, it's kind of awful. Um, and, you know, I, all I can do is just – or all we can do is just keep fighting on, you know, the motto but is there you know is there a light at the end of the tunnel
2: <laughs> eddie this is i we i put in our little notes that this was like byu deja vu It kind of seemed like a lot of 2018 so it wasn't it wasn't a consistent showing you know we we saw a much better showing last week uh this looked a lot more like fresno state than it did stanford if you read my false positive thing and that's a Keeley theory apparently with something we've talked about for a yes, long time yes um, but, yeah, it's, just, that's, it's one of those things. They looked really good against Stanford. Stanford ended up being not very good. and uh, But the consistency wasn't there. And I think that's one of the things that's disappointing, that you felt like with the new offensive scheme, with the, the new strength and conditioning program, the special teams, hopefully, you know, you wanted that to be better, more rotating on the defensive line and the defense in general, that this was going to be a more consistent team. But this just looked a, a heck of a lot like what we saw last year.
3: Well, so consistency has to be taught and has to be learned at practice. If they don't practice doing things correctly all the time, they will never do them in the game. It it won't happen. You can't just flip the switch and expect it to happen in a game. And on the tackling front, some of our guys uh, like Isaiah Polamau, Yeah, they say that right, Polamalu. Yeah. Isaiah, he gets in the right position a lot, and he goes to use his shoulder there were several plays where he goes to use his shoulder and the guy gets positive uh, yardage, maybe four, five, six yards. Extra yards. And we just need to be a lot more positive at the point of uh, contact. Positive and getting solid contact, getting our arms around him. I think Isaiah just wants to smoke everybody he sees. He's kind of like you. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but I weigh a little bit more than him, That's so true. I got a little true. bit more yeah. oof coming. But just those type of plays and guys – Like, open field tackles are hard to make. I can understand missing open field tackles sometimes. But our guys on the film are, they'll read and analyze play and see what's happening. But they'll wait to react to it until they get in a better position rather than running full speed and just taking a shot. And that's something that bothers me. And I just hope, I really hope that our entire defense is really working on tackling drills
2: this week. Perimeter
3: defense in tackling.
2: Yeah. Uh, this, Dan Weber kind of harps on that quite a bit. I think he would love everything you just said. Yeah. We don't get to watch practice anymore, but i that's not really been the MO. They don't really do that kind of tackling practice. And I would like to see, after if you feel like there was a game where tackling was not that good, that maybe you change up practice. Like, you know, we normally don't do this, but we're going to tackle today. Well, so that's
3: been one of the, I guess, issues that has been a topic is, you know, how physical do you remain at practice especially as the season goes on do you wear full pads do you just wear helmets I don't want to obviously I'm only 31 so I'm not from the old school (laughs) but I still believe in tackling at practice I tackling is an art and unless you are a 10-year all-pro player you need to be tackling every single week because it's just something that unless you are physically practicing getting down in a stance and firing out and using your arms to tackle somebody, it's something that is very hard to do, especially at full speed. You have to practice it at full speed. And even if our guys are only practicing it against bags in practice, to me, that's better than just thinking that we're going to save their bodies uh, for the next week. We need to practice our tackling and continue practicing our tackling throughout the entire season.
1: We actually got... Oh, first off, thanks, Eddie, for the call. We appreciate it. We actually got a tweet that kind of... uh is in the similar theme uh, it's from Jason and he said question for Taylor how often do you go against the ones during practice at USC i cannot believe how bad the Trojans looked this past weekend
3: So normally at practice you go there's a there's different periods so you start with you know your warm up period you go to individual drills where you do uh, drills uh, specific to your position and then somewhere in there, you go to 9-on-7. And 9-on-7 is normally a ones-on-ones on ones drill. You're going one defense, one offense, maybe four, three or four plays hard. Well, I don't know if, what our tempo is currently, <laughs> but that's normally what it is. And ones will go three or four plays. Twos will go three or four plays. Depending on – this is the in-season practice, so it's probably just ones and twos currently. And then they'll jump back up ones and ones again. So you might get anywhere from five to ten plays of ones-on-ones in nine-on-seven. And then you go scout team. And scout team is normally against twos and threes. So the one defense will go against the scout team offense, while the one offense going against scout team defense, which consists of, you know, Maybe some freshmen, just guys who are in the second to third string. Uh, And then seven on seven is when you most of the time link back up with uh, ones on ones. And then team, you go ones on ones. So the tempo should be there. The practicing against your starting offense or your starting defense should be there. I just would question what is the tempo that they're running the drills at? And what is being – what's acceptable to the coaches – tempo-wise, running to the ball-wise, who's chasing the ball 50 yards downfield because that's what's expected of them. It's the backside corner running, even though he shouldn't have to run, but he's just running because it's part of the work ethic that he has. Are they doing those things? That would be more of what I question than uh, the ones-on-ones. Even though ones-on-ones is important, but what is the tempo that they're going at?
1: And something that Dan and I talked about in instant analysis, and also I just got a text from Shotgun about uh, all the way from Provo. He said, "There's no way that USC is actually going to do live tackling on a short week when they're about to face Utah on Friday." So, what they, Dan they said, they might not
2: do full pads. Yeah, yeah, and
1: what Dan said was the the necessary things they need to do to get better is not what Clay we've seen Clay do, especially when you are under these short turnaround circumstances. So, what are you expecting for this week of practice?
3: Well, I don't want to make any comparisons, but I don't know if I – and I get what Shotgun's saying. However, this is week four. Yes. It's not week 10. <laughs> you know, it's – they didn't – they don't really have 2 days anymore. I understand maybe not doing live tackling, but they need to be doing tackling drills. Right. Maybe not scrimmaging, but they need to be doing something. Yeah. We went full pads until week 10 sometimes. If we weren't doing the right thing, we would be in full pads. So I just – I don't ever want to question uh, Coach uh, Helton. I like Coach Helton. I respect him as a coach, as a man. But he needs to figure out for his team what he needs to do to get his guys on the right page and with the right mindset and attitude. And that is what I hope he – that's my opinion on it. I respect that he'll make the best decision that he you know, deems necessary for his team moving forward in that uh, topic.
1: So jumping into some YouTube questions, we had a lot of questions about Graham Harrell and kind of the post-game atmosphere. So I had mentioned on Instant Analysis that we didn't get a chance to talk to Graham Harrell. So how post-game works is that uh, there's usually a presser somewhere not where the players are coming out of the locker room. So most of the media goes to that place. And so that's where we were because we wanted to hear from Clay Hilton after the game. And while that happened, we assumed that Graham Harrell left uh, the locker room and we all missed him. And he's for the past three games have left the locker room early. So I don't think this was an intentional thing because a lot of people were questioning, Oh, did Graham Harrell uh, decline to speak to the media? Did he sneak out? He left whether or not he, it's not his uh, responsibility to wait around for us. So he didn't talk to us. We'll talk to him tomorrow on Monday. So we'll get more answers, but I just want to clarify that because some people thought he was maybe sneaking out for
3: ducking and dodging. Yeah. Yeah. Mm.
1: Which I mean, sometimes coaches do that, that happens, but uh, that was the scenario uh, yesterday. Um, but, and we also got a question from Jasper. He said, did Clay Helton take over the play calling? Harrell, uh, didn't stick around for questions, which is a a bad sign, but Clay Helton did say, uh, Graham Harrell called all the plays on Saturday. So there
2: was a lot of talk about that on the conference call today. So he he made a point of saying that this was, that he called a great game. Uh, he said he has insight and input into all of the coordinators. So, you know, could he have said, Hey, we're, they're dropping guys into coverage. We would have run the ball more. Um, I mean, whatever. That's what they tried to do. Yeah. It wasn't very effective, but uh, you know, he said on the the, the overtime run, he thought they you know they'd run the ball well. He said that they had a hole on that first down play, but it it got stuffed. It didn't it didn't work. Then they wanted to run it again to try to set up third and manageable, which they did. It was third and six or something like that. Yeah. And he said it was an easy you know concept route, and uh, there was an opening, but. I guess he didn't get it through his progressions. He threw it to the wrong guy, and uh, it was picked off. So yeah. he was asked a lot about that and reiterated many times that this was Graham Harrell was calling, because that's, that's definitely been, like, yeah. the conspiracy theory that yeah. Clay Hilton took over play calling or things like that. But this did not look like I – I mean, i I got to go back and watch some more of the, the North Texas games, but I don't remember seeing this really happening at all. Like, this this just looked like it was different from what – was successful last week, and I yeah. I know defensive coverage is changing everything, but you still you still have better players, you still yeah. have better athlete, you have a lot of great wide receivers. Yeah, you figure you could in, you know inflict your will a little yeah. bit on that one, and it just kind of got away from it.
1: Yeah. yeah, in that sense, we got a question from Christian who says, Taylor, can you explain to everyone how to beat zone coverage besides running? What kind of route combinations work against it?
3: Well, it depends what zone coverage uh, you're they're, you're playing against. Like if you're playing against. Uh, normal cover three, which is three deep. So if you break the field down into thirds, the corner has one third, uh, the free safety has the middle third. Another corner has uh, the far right third. So one way to beat it downfield is to run four verts. You run four verts and in cover three, the four vertical routes are ran to landmarks. So the inside, which would be, let's say, the slot receivers or the slot receiver in the tight end, they run their vertical routes uh, two yards on top of the numbers. So they run running to a landmark based off of where the uh, middle third safety is. The outside receivers run uh, fades, vertical routes, but they're running them down the sideline. And what happens is you want to get the middle third safety to have to choose one. So it would come down to somebody like Keaton dropping back and looking, and looking off the middle third safety, or maybe he's looking this way, and then he comes back to uh, his right, and he has to throw the ball. It's still throwing the ball into a window, but there are there are a lot of ways to beat zone coverage. Zone coverage is really better in underneath routes. Same thing with uh, cover two. You have two deep safeties covering half of the field, but cover two, really, you have, like almost, you can have six guys dropping underneath in zones, in flats, in a hook curl, uh, uh, what's <laughs> hook curl, uh, quarter flat. In, in cover two, throwing the ball, the middle of the field's wide open. Yeah. So that's no a one, all the tight end drag yeah. stuff yeah. or whatever they can Exactly. Could, yeah. So there, there's ways to beat it. We just really didn't take advantage of it. We didn't, yeah. we took some shots down the field, but we didn't spread it out and, Still make them have to guard us. We kind of just ran the same kind of routes we ran against Stanford, but it doesn't. The stuff that they work. were kind of covering, yeah, right? Yeah, it doesn't they, work against yeah. the It doesn't work in that coverage. I would have liked to see us spread it out and make them actually cover the whole field rather than just running routes kind of
2: inside the uh, hash marks. Yeah, it's funny. You watch football and you see that a lot. I watched uh, Arizona play. They were yeah. awful on defense. And then they came out against Texas Tech and they were playing great. And it's, it's funny when you see teams that are like just kind of everyone's at the line of scrimmage. Like if it's a screen, they're, they're covered. Everything, you know, the little everything that you're doing close to the line of scrimmage. And the teams seem to want to keep throwing like the, the routes near the yeah. line of scrimmage. Yeah. And that could like, you have to go over the top of that. Like, and I felt like that was happening where all the little intermediate routes, which I think USC did a terrible job of utilizing the last couple of years, that was something BYU is taking away. And you had to change it up. And instead of trying to, take advantages going over it a little bit. It was like they were going to try to run the football, but that still wasn't – they weren't physical enough at the line of scrimmage yeah. to get that done either. So, yeah, it was very strange. I thought they could have done some different things to attack that zone, and and for whatever reason, they didn't. Yeah, they stretched field, throw it downfield. We got tall receivers. We have fast receivers.
3: It just we, – we didn't take advantage of it. Yeah.
1: In that same vein, Steven asked, does Utah play zone defense? Can they implement what BYU did against USC?
2: I don't know. I I mean, Utah can do what they want to do. Yeah, they're like they can do what they want. They got a good do. secondary. They the defensive line is do. really good. I'm not. I have to go back and look and see what kind of uh, what you know their their main scheme and stuff is. But I'm not exactly sure. Well, Utah's the type of team that they're going to go
3: back. They're going to look at our film and they're going to on their defense is going to develop a game plan. Obviously, based off of what we could potentially do. But they'll be ready for really anything. I would play man against us. I would play zone. I would show. Like we're gonna blitz and then not blitz or try to hold the safeties in there and then blitz them late. It's gonna be a completely different test again yeah. for Keaton in this Utah game because this Utah defense is th- they have better they have better defensive calls. They're gonna move around. It's just it's gonna be a completely different look for him. Yeah. You have to listen to the. I, I was going to give you some, but you have to listen to the
2: pregame show. I'll True. give you some. Yes. Nice, of course. I know. Almost let it. They'll, they'll definitely. <laughs> they're going to rotate the defensive line guys in. There's yeah. going to be a lot of they're, pressure. They're gonna... Bradley and I is going to be all yeah. over the place. You watch yeah. him. He's yeah. It's a good defense. Mm-hmm.
1: Jesse on YouTube said, "Why do, why doesn't these these players seem affected by losing these days? Is it a reflection on Clay Helton?"
2: <laughs> Taylor doesn't. Seem wow. Taylor. I don't know. I was Go upset. Ahead. Yeah. No, you, you want to say no, that? No, 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 you are you were fired up. I want to hear no. it. Well, I was... Oh,
1: Sorry, so goodness. I was just going to say, I know you're not a social media guy, Taylor, but uh, some people were taking uh, offense to the fact that players were posting, like, uh, individual highlights of themselves even after a loss or, like... Kind oh, I didn't of, know that. Yeah, so that's what I'm telling you. So well, you that's know. a
3: huge issue that I have with social media and where social media has gone today, and I'm not going to rant. <laughs> I know you said, maybe I should call the show myself and <laughs> yeah. rant about yeah. but but... Um, I love, like, getting recognition for things that i've done personally but at the end of the day it's a team game if you do the best that you can individually do for the team things will take care of themselves i couldn't i can't personally understand why you would post something of yourself individually after you just lost the game because at the end of the day you lost the game that should be all that matters yeah um but in the same sense You seem fired up when you're talking about the, <laughs> yeah, the I was, players' I, the, reaction to the loss. The guys, it should mean something to them. It should mean something. It shouldn't sit well with them. Guys should feel upset. They should feel embarrassed. Um, just it, it should never sit right getting beat like this. And obviously, I've lost games before. When I was in school, we lost games similar to this. And we wanted to do everything we could and really just – be under the rug we didn't want to say a word nothing like ever posting something on social media we wanted to just let our play do the talking for itself and that's where i think these guys should go with their attitudes is fly under the radar and let what you do on the field speak for itself because at the end of the day anybody can say that they're a great player you got to go out and prove that you're a great player every single time you step out on the field and that's what I go to when I say, it's got to mean something to these players. It's got to mean something in their heart. And when it means something to you, you're willing to do whatever it takes to protect it. Yeah. And, you know, when you have that attitude, you you really start to see things progress in the right way.
2: I mean, we're going to see if it means something now because you have adversity. Um, I think they came into the season wanting, they knew that talk wasn't going to cut it. Yep. LA had to show they didn't look great in the opener. And then they, I think they felt good really good after the Stanford game, and it was like, hey, we just proved it. Now here we are. Yeah. And that came crashing back down yeah. to earth. You got three really tough games in a row, two of them on the road. Um, you're going to know if uh, if these guys want to play. I mean, you could go out and play your best and lose these ones. So these aren't ones you can go out and half-ass it no. and, and win. Oh, no. Um, you can go out and put a really good effort and lose because you, know, you put a good effort against BYU, you win. Um, these are ones that you have to go beyond that to win. So... We'll see uh, how it ends up, but it's going to be a good test for the team, for the coaches, and everybody. Um, it's just a whole different situ- situation now with you know the the meat of your schedule coming. Yeah. In.
1: Yeah, Jasper Smith said, "What is the blocking scheme of the offensive line even against a three-man front?" You didn't see them get uh, to the second level.
3: No, normally, yeah. Can I? Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> well, Do whatever you want. I don't know way what, I don't know <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what they're taught but I was a little confused by that also because a lot of times what happens is especially in the three man front the offensive line will combo so they'll uh both double team a guy and then probably the guard will uh work up to the next level I didn't really see that a lot of times it's it's pretty easy for two guys against one to push him out the way and then the guard let's say can go up to the middle linebacker or the weak side linebacker but our guys weren't doing that. Our guys were getting beat on the double. T- the Their defensive linemen were beating our offensive linemen on double teams, on one-on-one blocks. They were kind of just pushing us around. And if we can't run the ball against that front, we're going to struggle all season long. Yeah. So hopefully that our uh, offensive linemen will really look, analyze, and figure out what they have to do to play better moving forward. It's not, it doesn't get easy
2: when no. you're going to have a Utah coming Definitely to Definitely not.
1: No. Uh, K says, "What was the point of the last pass in overtime anyway? Even if the receiver caught it, it would have been short of the first down. Would have left us with a four, a uh, fourth and two, I believe."
2: Yeah, you're right. It was uh, it was going to be short, and I forget. I think I forget it was on the left side, but the left side receiver was short of the sticks too. So yep. they were both little curls or whatever it was. They just sat down, and I mean, you basically sat down right in a zone that was flooded. And the whole point of this offense, is you're supposed to like run to grass, and they, yeah. it didn't seem like that's that was what was happening. You know, They were running into areas that were covered by defenders, and there was guys over top, and there was guys underneath. So, yeah, it, it, even if he caught that ball, and that was true freshman Drake London that was going to be... Uh, he took blame for that, which I don't think it yeah. was really his fault. I mean, the ball got tipped and everything, but yeah, it, it wouldn't have been a first down anyway, because it wasn't like he was going to catch the ball and then could turn and run. Like mm-hmm. He was going to be completely... He, he was. They were right there. Yeah. there.
3: Yeah. Well, it looked like two guys had a chance to intercept the ball anyway yeah and uh, I said earlier we talked about uh, landmarks that the receivers run to especially in zone coverage and it didn't look like our guys were really on the same page in that regard they Keaton was staring at some of the receivers and when you stare at receivers in zone coverage underneath those guys are taught get to your drop and look at the quarterback And when he's staring at them, they're getting breaks on the ball. And you could see because those guys on defense were getting good breaks on the ball, especially from the backside. And uh, that's just something that Keaton's going to have to learn
2: from going forward. Yeah. That's tough for a true freshman. You know. Yeah. You're Drew Brees. Like, you know, I'm like, I'm going to look that dude off. I'm going to look that. It's Mm -hmm. like you're just staring at a guy. Yeah. And that kind of coverage, and you're kind of screwed. Yeah.
1: As far as the play calling in that overtime period, one of the criticisms uh, after the game was that Clay Heldon played a little safe when asked about the play calling, and Graham Harrell as well. He said they kind of they wanted to make it manageable. Basically, I think they wanted to play it safe, try and get the first down. If you don't, do the, the have the field goal attempt. Uh, what do you think about that? Should USC just be aggressive? The defense came out and shut down uh, BYU to a certain extent. What do you take away from the whole play calling in overtime?
2: Yeah, and I, I think Dan's been really kind of vocal about this and we'll we'll get him on our podcast tomorrow or Tuesday or whatever we're gonna do. We have to figure out what we're doing there. Sure <laughs> week it's all It's sure we gotta figure all that stuff out. Um but yeah, no, I feel like what got and I think Dan's point and he put a column up today, like his point was like you have to do with what got you there. You know, when you're prepping in fall camp and there's it's physical and you're looking good, what why does that change once you start game prep? And why are practices different and you're more manage it like more of like an NFL thing? And then offensively, you saw what worked against Stanford last week. Yes, they're playing a different kind of coverage, but it was, uh, you know, lacking of a better expression, like a ball to the wall, just, hey, we're going to go out and do our thing. And it felt like they got punched in the mouth and it was like, uh, oh, backed off a little bit. And they did something that really wasn't their thing. They let BYU dictate what they're going to do. When you have better athletes, you got to be able to dictate the, the pace and and and, and really afflict your will, make them do something different. And USC wasn't able to do that. And I think that's what... I think a lot of people that were fans of this—we were all fans of this offense—were like, "Hey, but this is way better than what they were running before." Yeah. But they kind of—they didn't run it. They—they they were like kind of afraid, and they sort of like backed off. And I don't know where that was coming from, but it—it it just didn't seem like that. You know, you got this—you know, Ferrari engine, and you're like, ah, "I don't—I don't, I don't want to get it out of third gear," sort of thing. And that's—that's that's kind of what it felt like. Yeah. Uh, one thing I gave
3: uh, Coach Helton credit for was he always seemed to stay true to who he is as a coach. And I was confused because. In offseason and when I went to training camp, I heard all about air raid, air raid, air raid, air raid, air raid uh, from our offense. And we weren't really aggressive in the game. So to answer that question, you know, to be aggressive just the last drive of the game when we hadn't really been aggressive passing wise yeah. the entire game, it doesn't really make sense. I would have it would have sat a lot better with me if we would have still lost the game. But. He would have been slinging the ball or trying to right. get the ball to his best players uh, in route combinations that would have taken advantage of the defenses that they were playing.
2: Yeah. That, that would have sat better with me. Yeah. Run, run, pass is like, you know, 1984 exactly. NFL offense. This is not like 2019 air raid offense. Yeah. Like it was like, run, run, pass. Like that's, yeah. where, you, that's where you went mm-hmm. with it. It's like, okay. You know, like that seemed like a throwback. Kind yeah. Of thing. You know, yeah. It was a little confusing.
1: Trojan see me on YouTube wants me to address what Dan Weber and I talked about on Instant analysis and Ryan, I know you and I talked about this for the show as well, but just how Saturday's game kind of just mirrored the themes we saw in 2018, kind of a repeat of what we saw from the coaching and whatnot. What, what do you take away from where it's, it, we kind of see the same themes with the Clay Hilton coach team. Do you think they can kind of get out of the, their own way in that sense?
2: Um, I'll give uh, if you a minute. I'll do a quick take on it. So, Okay, we saw a lot of the changes. This might be a little rant. Sorry, changes <laughs> here we, here in the this changes in the off season mm-hmm. that needed to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't full blown Notre Dame from a few years ago changes, but there were significant changes. Mm-hmm. You know, with you had a new strength and conditioning coach, you had a new offensive coordinator. Yep. There was a lot of stuff that was was going on that I think were good, um, and we felt there was some optimism coming into the season. Like, hey, you know, I think this team still is one of the the, the most talented team in the conference. It can these guys can go out and win games you saw the Stanford game we're like that could be every week but there was one of those it's almost like you have the talent which is if it's like real estate terms you have like this really great plot of land like you're you're in Manhattan Beach where in the tree section where everyone wants to be and that's the talent on the team but when you built the house it just wasn't you didn't it was kind of shoddy material you didn't have the greatest uh, contractor and all this stuff and and like the house is kind of wobbly so it's on this great plot of land but the you don't have a great foundation. It's just not a, a well-built house. And you go in and like, okay, well, let's fix the roof. Let's add some new landscaping. And we're going to put in new windows. Now the house is a lot better. You're like, all right, yeah, the house is better. But is the foundation changed? And yeah, I feel like changed. what we felt like, what we saw against BYU was, yeah, a lot of the stuff had changed, but the foundation hasn't changed. And that kind of culture, that whatever that was, that the, the mindset you have from that five and seven season last year, Some of that seems you feel it. It's like some of it's carried over because you didn't change the foundation.
3: He didn't change foundation, attitude, mindset, accountability. Those are some of the most important things in sports, especially in football. And I think that's where some of the issues are starting to pop up. You can change some small things, and that does make a difference. But at the end of the day, if you're not keeping your players accountable, they should be scared for their lives walking in. (laughs) I'm serious. They should be scared for their lives. If it means something to them, they should be scared for their lives walking into the meeting on Sunday. They should be scared. Are they going to get expelled from school for how they played in the game? (laughs) Maybe. That should just be the mindset that they have. And that is created in the off-season meetings, in off-season practices, uh, with AA in the weight room. Things like that. That's how you create that atmosphere, and it's just hard to switch to, you know, a couple years into what's already been going on. It's it's something that's hard to change. So we'll see. Yeah. When but
1: were you scared for your life, Taylor?
3: <laughs> I've been. Uh, there's been a couple. There's been a couple games in college where, uh, we were. St- I was scared for my life just because I did a couple things wrong. Who was the and scariest coach? Like? Uh, Ken Norton. Ken, Ken Norton. Norton. Ken Norton. <laughs> yeah, we have talked about it. Some of my friends, uh, we have talked about it. And uh, Coach Ken Norton, he was really the guy. Coach Seto was an awesome coach. But Ken Norton was the one that would really make you feel bad. <laughs> and you couldn't say anything because he was such a great player in his own right. So he would really make you feel bad. And, it, you know, it's funny, but at the same time, it's serious because you never wanted to let him down. Yeah. yeah. And that was just the atmosphere that was created. I never wanted to let down uh Coach Norton, Coach Seto, Coach Carroll. You don't you don't want to let those guys down, so you work even harder to so it's never a possibility of ever letting them down. Yeah. And that would be the type of atmosphere. Obviously, this is a different team. We're talking about years later, but those type of principles are things that can carry over from any team, but especially a USC football team.
1: Yeah. Uh, We have more live callers, so let's get to them. They've also been waiting for a bit, so thank you for that. Uh, Let's go to our first caller. Hello, you're live on Tunnel Vision.
6: Hi, how are you guys doing? I'm a big fan of the show and a very, very big fan of Taylor Mays, but Mm I had a question and I just want to get some perspective on this. Since Pete Carroll, I I believe the last – uh three head coaches we've had at usc were all former quarterbacks um does that say something in in terms of being able to establish the type of grit that perhaps a defensive coach would establish at usc um having quarterbacks kind of build a toughness in the team because it just doesn't seem like we've ever had toughness uh since we've had like the pete carrolls uh, we've we've had kiffin and sark and now clay Helton, who learned under those two so it's just been a continuation
2: yeah, Dan, Dan talks about that a lot. Yeah. I think Do you No, think I,
3: I think it's I think it is 100% a real thing. I think it is I don't it's just a tough thing. I would rather have a head coach be a defensive-minded head coach and then have an offense coordinator and or excuse me, have the head coach just say to the offense coordinator, "You take care of the offense. Let me handle everything on defense." Because at the end of the day, if you don't let the opponent score and you score three points, you win. So you get it, it's easier to be a defensive coach and to provide a defensive mindset. Uh, and uh, I got drafted by San Francisco. Mike Singletary was the head coach there. He was a great coach, a great person. He might not have been uh, ready to be a head coach because he was such a great defensive coach. Yeah. And that mindset and his mentality doesn't really transfer over to the offense. But as a defensive coach, Best defensive coach ever. And so it kind of goes in line with the question because I personally think you need a defensive coach most of the time as a head coach, just be- unless you have a very solid defensive coordinator who's able to convey that kind of mindset yeah. and that attitude. Because if you don't have that attitude and walk around like you're a bad man,
2: <laughs> it's it's going to come up at some point in the season. Dan, Dan was talking about if you're a, if you're a quarterback – you never get hit in practice. So mm-hmm. if you're running practices, like is, is hitting in practice all that important to you? Because that's not something that mm-hmm. really impacted your practices, your whole career at all. So I think that's one of the things Dan would always kind of point out, where if you're Mike Singletary, you hit the hell out of me. Yeah, right? yeah so. you hitting everything and everybody. <laughs> so
1: <laughs> it Thanks. makes a difference. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for the call. Let's go to our next caller in a second. Hello, you are live on Tunnel Vision.
5: Hey Keely. hey Ryan, hey Taylor. What's going on? I'm just going to make it short. I'm just making it short and sweet. I won't get into a rant, I promise. <laughs> who who has <have> more <laughs> who has more work to do coming up this week going against uh, a hard-hitting Utah. Is it going to be the offense or the defense? Who's got more work to do?
2: Good question. Yeah, good question. Uh I would go with the offense just knowing how uh good of a of a defense Utah has. I think you know Tyler Huntley is a, a good quarterback. He's mobile. He can do some things. Zach Moss is a really mm. good, tough running back. Uh, but it's not really been an explosive play kind of offense. Now they played some cupcake this last weekend. I forget who it was, but and they, they Idaho State. State. Idaho State. Yeah, yeah. They, they had some explosive plays. But in the other games, they weren't really getting that. Uh, but I think it's going to be a good enough offense. But the, to me, I want to see this air raid offense go against a really tough Utah defense, especially that defensive front. And just move the ball and score points. They should be able to do that. So I would, I would go offense. I don't know what you no, think. No, I, I could definitely go offense, too. It's the only time that I'll ever
3: side <laughs> with the offense. But <laughs> I figured you're going to. You really deep. have to. Yeah. Because it's just going to be, like I said last week, another test for Keaton and this offense. And another chance for him to really learn and get some experience. And this is a tough defense. Mm-hmm. It's a tough team, but it's a tough defense. It's going to be different looks for him. They're different types of athletes than, like you said, they're basically a, a souped-up BYU team. Yeah. And um, so, definitely the offense. The offense really needs to play better. But at the same time, if the defense doesn't do things differently, Utah is going to expose them. Yeah. yeah. The, the,
2: the edge stuff that we talked about, Zach yeah. Moss yeah. can burn you. Yeah. Uh, definitely Huntley exposed. can burn you. So, well, you know, I don't think he's going to be as good of a passer as a, as a Zach Wilson, but uh, I mean, he's definitely a dual-threat guy, too. Yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, thank you for the call. Um, before we get into the next caller, Taylor, I just wanted to ask you real quick, if you ever had a bad game, a bad performance, like maybe Keaton did, how do you bounce back? What was your mindset after a, a bad performance?
3: My mindset and what I would tell Keaton, really what I would tell anybody, the one thing you have to do is go back to the basics. Like, if even if you have a bad play in the game, Just go back to the basics, go back to the foundation of whoever you are as a person, as a player, and just start working from there. And that kind of helps you just get the wheels rolling in a sense. It helps kind of get that uh, bad taste out of uh, your mouth, and you just kind of get in motion of doing things over again. And, you know, we've talked about this a lot, just really treating good or bad the exact same. And it's something that really has to be learned. It's kind of a mindset that you really have to try and just learn as you go, but just trying to have the same attitude. And we talked about this last week. After a hard win, they got to try to treat everything the same, and it's the same thing when you know we lose a heartbreaking game. Treat it the same, do the exact same thing, and then that just turns into – what you do all the time the work ethic that you have all the time and um just focus on that and hopefully a lot of guys there's some players who have made entire careers out of playing with a chip on their shoulder i mean just been entire careers out of playing with the chip on their shoulder and uh maybe that works for some guys on our team so if they can use that as fuel why not
2: yeah tom brady He'll do Entire it. Entire careers, Aaron, Aaron Rodgers, you know, mm-hmm. all that. Those guys, mm-hmm. it's not all the success they have. They still feel like they've been slighted somehow. Exactly. Yep. So
3: that you know, we'll see if our guys respond that way. So that that just uh, will show the character, you know, guys on our team.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, let's go to our next caller. The calls are rolling in.
2: Are they crap? Yeah.
1: Hello, you're live on t- Tunnel Vision. I won't say t- television every time.
2: Sort of television. Yeah. Hey, Vision. thanks for taking my call. Hi. Uh, what's your name? Where are you from?
6: Uh, Joey from, uh, HB, Huntington Beach.
2: Nice.
6: Um, wow. Taylor, big fan, been a big fan since, uh, when you we were at O'Day. Oh, awesome. I graduated oh, okay. high school up in Pacific Northwest, same year as you, oh, okay. Watched you playing in the state final, uh, semifinals. So, um, I liked how you brought up, um, the mindset.
0: Yeah. And
6: I just, um, I just don't think that, uh, Helton has that. I mean, look at Tola Lovendon. He couldn't snap the ball and you know, Helton's answer was to tell everybody that he's in love with him. You know, like, you know I, I don't think that's going to happen, but um, my question was going to be, I remember when Harold was um, hired, he gave um, a little press conference and he talked about how Coach Seth at North Texas would um, kind of be there for him if he got stuck in a game and he would help him call a play if he didn't know what to do. Mm. Do you think that, he was a little over his head in that game that, you know, BYU, you know, they got some pretty good coaches and do you think that they just outsmarted him and he just didn't know what to do and that's needed a, that guy to, you know, to, to get some help?
2: That's interesting. Thanks for the call. That, so we talked about Seth Luttrell, who's the North Texas head coach, yeah. also an offensive guy brought Graham Harrell in. And yeah, I mean that, that's it. I mean, if you had someone like that you felt you could lean on, there's not really anyone on the staff besides maybe Mike Jenks yeah. that has like the kind of air raid stuff. So maybe there there isn't that soundboard you have to bounce ideas off of, of other people that have run that same kind of system. It's definitely. It's, it's, but that's just something that coaches have to learn sometimes
3: too. Coaches, they don't know everything. They're still experiencing things as well, just like players are. And uh, so – Coaches need to get better in the same sense, just yeah. like the players do. But, uh, no, that's, that's a real thing because if you go in the locker room and you look at the coaches, they're bouncing ideas off of each other. The coaches who are in the press box are talking to the coaches on the field. They're sharing a lot of information. So if you lose that or if you have uh, a crutch in a sense that you're used to having and you don't have it, that can be effective. But at the same time, you coaches still have to be accountable.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, good call, though. Thanks.
1: Yeah, good question. Thanks for the call. Let's go on to our next caller. Hello, you're live on Tunnel Vision.
2: Oh. Hey. Oh.
5: I <laughs> uh, <laughs> didn't know I was on there. Question for uh, Taylor. Two questions, actually. You know, in today's college game, you know, when you don't have a Matt Liner quality, you know, Heisman Trophy kind of static quarterback, uh, how much easier is it really to defend a team you know won't or can't run from the quarterback position? And then uh, another more um, global question, would you agree that when a program waits until the players have lost confidence in the coaching staff that the program has waited too long?
2: All right, thanks for the call. I think that's J B and DC. I think I recognize the the uh the voice. If I'm I muted him, so we will never uh, okay, know. Okay, <laughs> yeah. So the first question? Oh, about uh like if you're like if you don't have uh, like A quarterback that can run, yeah. yeah, a dual threat quarterback. So if it's not like Matt Liner who can just like deal like anybody uh, and he can't run, then what oh. I think that's what he was saying, yeah. Well if you're facing a quarterback that is in a
3: sense one dimensional that can only throw the ball, it's pretty different because you can play let's like, Man coverage all the time and have your back to the quarterback, and you don't have to worry about him taking off and doing that. But at the same time, there are plenty of quarterbacks who are one dimensional that can put up 500 yards a game and five touchdowns. So uh, it really goes down to like the defense, the defense coordinator, and what are the calls because every defense has its weakness, and if quarterback's good enough, he can exploit the defense and um, you know find the holes in that defense. So. It can, it can happen in any defense.
2: Yeah. Okay. And what was the second? What the second question was? Uh, it's tough when you ask multiple questions. He
1: said, uh, "I know the,
3: I couldn't understand the first one." Is it
1: too long for a program to wait oh. to fire a coach until players lose confidence in their coach? AKA, should they fire him earlier rather than let right? The if wheels it, if come he on. feels
2: like that the the players have lost confidence, yeah. I, it doesn't seem like from what we're seeing that the players have lost. I don't think confidence the players with. have lost confidence. I think.
3: Even enough, but well, the even with what the player, I think the players like Coach Helton. Yeah. I, I think Coach Helton is a great guy. I think the players really like him. The question is, and the question is, will we'll always be for any head coach, not just Coach Helton, is he the coach that we want or that we need for this program moving forward? And it's not an, a question that's exclusive only to Coach Helton. Everybody yeah. asks it about. They're asking any about coach. Chip Kelly across town all you know, the they, time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they they always ask it. So, guys can like a coach, respect a coach, want to play hard for a coach, but is it the right coach? Is always a question that's
2: going to exist, especially in football. Yeah, and especially when you don't reach expectations. Exactly. There's especially expectations for different teams. Mm-hmm. Oregon State, the expectations
3: are different than USC. Hey, wow. USC fans want to be in the Rose Bowl at least. They want ten win seasons. They want, you know, playing big bowl games, things like that. Those are the expectations for this yeah. university. So and, and
2: not losing to BYU is one of those things. Yeah. No.
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the call. We appreciate it. Um, I'm gonna go back into questions for a little bit, even though we have a full call line right now. Still. Wow. Yep. Yeah. People really want to talk to Taylor. I guess. Um. One of the questions we I've seen a lot right now is, what is the leash for Taylor? I, not Taylor, I mean Keaton. Sorry, sorry Taylor. This is his last show. The leash. <laughs> for, leash? For Keaton, because uh, throwing three interceptions, uh, not exactly what you want from a quarterback, but like Taylor has said, it's a rough environment, first road game for a freshman. Uh, I know Clay has said before that it unless production drops or there's an injury, you won't really see a change, but at what point would you expect maybe to see number 19 warming up?
2: Yeah, you know, I haven't really thought about this because I don't think it's going to happen because it's just okay. really not – I don't think that's Clay Helton's mentality. I mean, I think it would have to get pretty bad. It would be – yeah, like he's still throwing a fra- fairly high percentage, and Clay yep. Helton mentioned that today. He said he threw for 70% or something. Um, you know, three picks obviously isn't good, but I don't even think that's in his mindset. I think he – you know, he was going to be a JT Daniels guy. He loves us, They were going to go with him. It would have to be pretty bad, I think, to get Fink into the picture. Not the kind of showing you had against BYU. My guess. The thing is, uh, Keaton still made some good throws. I went back and watched the game. He made some
3: good throws against BYU. Some throws he went through his progression. He put the ball in the right place at the uh, right yard line. He still progressed, I think, in this game. It's just he's a true freshman quarterback, and uh, me and Keeley spoke about this a couple of days ago. Yeah, was the bar being set too high initially for Keaton Slovis? You know, is everybody going to expect 370 yards <laughs> every single game from him? And that's just not realistic. It's not real really realistic for any quarterback in college football, and. Sometimes it's just going to be 8 for 13 and 150 yards, things like that. And that's just something he's going to have to deal with. And he just really needs to continue to get better. But I do not see guys abandoning him, abandoning him yet. Yeah. Because part of him developing is him learning and him making
2: mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that just hasn't been a Clay Hilton thing, though, for almost for any position where it's like you don't see guys get – they get the start and they're pretty much there. Yeah. Like I don't, you don't see a lot of moving around. He would have to really make some poor decisions
3: to
1: get yanked. Yeah. Yeah. I would think. Uh, we had a question wondering uh, they were referencing Brett Nielsen and how he kind of got pushed around uh, by BYU's nose tackle. When you have a center uh, kind of failing at, the, at that part of his job, what, what options do you have as the offensive line coach, as the offensive coordinator, when your center can't really get it done that way?
3: Well, it's tough because he. You have he's the starting center for a reason. Yeah. Sometimes you can do different things, uh, and I'm obviously not an offensive lineman. I've never played <laughs> offensive line, but you can <laughs> do different things uh, with your guards chipping or uh, maybe like something like a trap play where um, somebody else will uh, block the nose tackle or just something like that. There are small things you could do, but center is probably the most underrated position on the offensive line because at least left tackles, get a lot of credit. Yeah. You know, in the pros, they get paid a ton of money. Center's very underrated. They touch the ball every play. Yeah, And they're majority of the time blocking one-on-one. There's a nose tackle in front of them, a zero technique, a one technique. There's always somebody directly in front right, of them. Yeah. Always somebody that they have to put their hands on. And uh, I would just say that he needs to play better because there really isn't a whole lot that you can do to combo rather than taking a guard or taking a guard from either side and trying to help the center out. But it's just something you can only run misdirection trap so many times. And we just, we need to play better.
1: Yeah, and to Brett Nealon's credit, I talked to him after the, after the game. He was aware that he did not play his best game, and he said that he'll definitely uh, fix it and, and wants to do better. So at least uh, he's really good when it comes to So that would be the right attitude. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, he always has a good attitude when it comes he's to this He's not to posting
3: games. Instagram photos.
1: No, I don't think so. Yeah,
5: okay. Uh, well, let's go
1: to our – we have a full call line. Uh, let's go to our next caller. Hello, you are live on Tunnel Vision.
5: Hi, good evening. This is David from Anaheim. What's up, David? Uh, how are you guys doing? So, Dave? Thank you for uh yeah, thank you for having me uh on the show. Thank you for doing this and it's also great to see the the famous Mr Taylor Mays uh with you guys as well. Uh, so, you know, I'm kinda echoing what people are saying in the chat and what people you know, what we've been saying for the last few years and Taylor had brought this up earlier at the beginning of the show about, you know, hoping the coaching staff can fix it. I mean it's it's the same thing day in, day out. And this is sort of a rant, and of also have a question for Taylor at the end. And somebody actually asked this question in the, in the chat as well. But at what point do we just simply say a few years now, same type of, you know, lame play, missed tackles, bad play calling. I mean, at what point do we just say Clay Helton is in way over his head, he's a buffoon, and he cannot handle a big-time program like USC? I mean, at some point, it just has to be this. I, I don't know why the athletic department doesn't see this. Maybe they do. Maybe that's what Carol Fultz is doing now. And my question for Taylor is, Taylor, if you were in high school, I and mean, somebody asked us in the chat, would you commit to USC at this current state? Thank you very much. Well,
3: that, was very, you just, that was a very difficult question that you just asked me. We're going be calling people spot? buffoons, though. That's not yeah, nice. Like, like, guys, if you're going keep the yeah. personal
1: attacks yeah. on the low. Taylor? <laughs> that
3: question put me on the spot. Yes. I wouldn't commit to USC. No? No, wow. not, not right now. Washington? No. <laughs> well, like well, Washington, not bad. I don't. Would you do let Oregon? Let me take it back. I don't. I would really have to assess that. But it wouldn't be, yes, I would go to USC like it was when I chose to go to USC. Yeah. That's yeah. 100% sure. Maybe I'll go to Alabama. So you'd get out of. I would go to whatever school I thought would provide me the best opportunity for my football career, because that was the only thing that mattered. But like to your hometown school, like you wouldn't, could, like you're just never a big Washington fan. Well, what was I'm the, a huge Washington fan. My dad played you, yeah. at the University of yeah. Washington. Uh, my mom went to the University of Washington. I grew up. Going to University of Washington Husky games. So I'm a And human. they're good now. Yeah, they're and good. you were now. just like, no, nah, I wouldn't go there. It was like, <laughs> it was Wait, it was like it, it'd be weird now too, because I know it's just a question, but my friend is the uh, D B coach there. So technically if I was having to choose now, he would be my coach. Oh, okay. <laughs> so there you go. But uh I, I don't know. It just the the first part of the question was uh about here's here's what I think. I think every school individually, every uh, university, college football program is unique. And I think USC especially has to have a certain type of head coach. In, you know, regionally based schools have predominantly players from the same state. And USC requires a different type of head coach than uh, a Notre Dame, a Miami, uh, Florida State, uh, what's the East Coast one? Clemson. Clemson. USC needs a certain type of head coach. I think that the coaches that have been very successful in the past were coaches that really understood that and were able to get the most out of their players physically, mentally, emotionally. And um, I just don't know. Like I said, I really like Coach Elton. But I and I haven't really been around him enough to be able to assess if he's the right coach for, coach for the job. Uh, but if you look at it statistically, you know the clock it is the fuse is running out. Fuse is definitely running out. But at the same time, he could they could come out against Utah yeah. and put up a, one heck of a performance and shut everybody up. So it's always it's always you know hit or miss. You're always like tiptoeing it can fall on either side. And that's just, uh, that is just the nature of the beast and the business that we're in. Yeah, and
2: I, I think that's a good way to put it. The fuse has definitely been lit and it's burning. But, yeah. you know, unlike 2016, the, the schedule wasn't great, so you could go undefeated. But there's opportunities here with really good teams. So you can bounce back from a BYU loss by beating – Utah, Washington, Notre Dame, and then you'll be nationally relevant again, and, and a lot of people forget about that. But yeah. that's just a tall order. What we saw, the effort against BYU is not going to get it done against those teams. But there's a good opportunity there. But you're right. There's there's just not a lot of time left to to, to uh, we got to go back to the drawing board and fix this. It's like it needs to be fixed now. There isn't any. You know, I don't think there's much grace period at all anymore. No, like, I don't think there's any. I think yeah. the
3: candle is burned at both ends, <laughs> and it's nothing personal. It just is how it is yeah. in college football. Yep.
1: Yeah. Alrighty, we have some more callers. That must have and been an
2: <laughs> Angry Angels fan. What do you think? Was he, he's from Anaheim. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's, Sorry, it's rough here. Yeah. I know. Um, let's go to more callers. Uh, We'll probably wrap it up with these last three callers. Yeah. The last one. Three on more? The, Jeez. Yeah, the last one in the queue is Jeremiah from Snake Lake. So oh,
2: We might have to cut him off. All right, yeah, let's okay.
1: Go. <laughs> let's go to our next that caller. That
3: sounds like a, somewhere in a Netflix TV. <laughs> yeah. Snake Lake. Uh,
1: but we have uh, another caller on the line. Hello, you're live on Tunnel Vision.
7: Hello? Hi. Hi, this is Robert from Diamond Bar. Uh, just like some observations from Coach Helton, you guys are talking about his philosophy. So I noticed every week there's a different theme. The first week or the, the Stanford game, it was a so what, now what? And that theme is is harped on throughout the week. Uh, last week for the BYU game, it was showing maturity. The team's traveling to show maturity. Um, my question to you if, uh, is for the panel is, whether Coach Helton has a single vision, a philosophy that um, the whole team encompasses uh, when they play when they play these games, um, I just think that coaching eighteen to twenty two year olds, giving them a different theme, what to think about going into game day, uh, loses focus. And I think a big thing for college coaches to be a good motivator. We see Dabo Sweeney, we see Coach P Carroll in the past motivating these kids, and I just don't. Don't see him. Don't see him uh, having some sort of single vision. Uh, just a staple of being a leader in o- any organization or team. Just want to get your thoughts on that. Thank you. Thanks.
1: Thanks for the
2: call. Maybe, maybe what you. I mean, I've seen some themes just crash and burn. What Kiffin had one that was like it's about the prep or not the hype or something. I can't remember what it was. And they like painted it onto the the grass when you came into the practice field. Sometimes it just seems like a gimmicky kind of thing. I don't know. Were, yeah. were themes like good for you, you or know, was it? The, they don't mean anything. They don't help you.
3: <laughs> and what well, coach every coach does that. But how often are they doing things like that? And how consistent are the are you hearing the same thing all the time? A lot of coaches will talk about the ball, turnovers, uh plus minus uh, margin, things like that. But every week a new saying, you know, printing out t-shirts for the guys that doesn't really help you as a football team. And I'm not (laughs) criticizing it at all. I'm just saying that those things don't matter. You know, those things don't matter. The intangible things are the only things that matter. You know, guys working hard, guys knowing they have to compete. If you just just say compete all the time, be tough all the time, don't let anybody punk you on the line of scrimmage type of thing. Those are the type of things that I would say. Because at the end of the day, you know, if you have a good saying and it rhymes – doesn't help you win football games. It doesn't help you in the fourth quarter against BYU when you guys need to be in shape. Yeah. It doesn't help you having a T shirt in your locker <laughs> that has the perfect saying, you know, in just the right amount of uh you know uh what's what's guy what's the word I'm looking for just the Alliteration. Right amount of, syllables. Yeah, sure. <laughs> syllables, yeah, syllables. That's what I am looking for. Okay. Oh. So, you know, it's just it's just frustrating,
2: but Does the font on the T shirt matter? Or well, that doesn't it's just
1: fourth quarter. <laughs> you're like that Helvetica font. Yeah, <laughs> I, got the, I got the I got the Great Times New Roman <laughs> font
3: in uh, italics underlined. It's Perfect. really good, really yeah. going Pete Carroll uh, had
2: something. like he, I think when he was first like I think when he first got to USC it was like I'm in or something. I believe yeah, that was. But one. it was
3: all the time. Yeah, it was it was all the time. It was consistent. It was something that you saw, you heard. It was talked about every day. It wasn't like a just something that okay well this week we're gonna work on this well how about we work on the same things all the time every single day so they become normal for us rather than kind of picking and choosing okay well now we're gonna be mature now we're gonna play with integrity now we're, you know
1: yeah gotcha yeah makes sense so
2: we got two callers left
1: yeah let's move on to our next caller
2: we gotta get jeremiah in hello team.
1: you are live on tunnel vision <laughs>
4: Hi guys. Uh, this is Hugh from CME. I'm certainly grateful for this opportunity to just event and listen to all the things you guys have to say. So thank you for, for doing this.
2: Well we're grateful um, you called.
4: Thank you. And and I won't <laughs> I, I, I waited a long time to get on to get on. You guys are busy. Um, so I have a I guess a question, if you will, but but uh, here is the, without any name calling or any of that stuff that you know you guys are uh, you. opposed to, of course. <laughs> uh, it kind it kinda seems like our coaching staff, is learning how to shave on our face. That's the first thought that I have to share for you. Um, we're, we're, it is, it's a learning experience with us rather than learning someplace at, at another college. The second thing is the observation on last on the, you know, the BYU games, it seems like, and help me where I'm wrong, that we got out-coached, we got out-played, we got out-time-managed, and we got out-special-teamed. So can you guys come to something we won at last week? I'm listening.
1: Thanks. Ooh, sad. I agree
3: with the second part, one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, I definitely it, agree with it. And
2: it, you know, when you do hire someone that hasn't been a head coach before, there, you kind of have to accept there's going to be learning on the job, and that's, uh, the, you know, that's what's really been been happening. And I think that's what a lot of people had issues with uh, when Clay Elton was initially hired. So. Um, that was a Pat Hayden thing back in the day, mm-hmm. but yeah, if you're you're learning to shave on someone else's faces. That was the same. Yeah, I what, heard what's funny one. is is I don't really shave, so like it's just a you don't shave. T- no, no. I mean sometimes you got a bit. I really okay. have
3: to now, but that was like the last six months
2: it started. But um are just getting that age, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just old getting
1: man, there. old man, Mays. nice. Um,
2: but th- but yeah, no, I mean it's hard to <laughs> uh, yeah. When you have better players and you lose a lot of the times I think you're going to be out-coached. And I, I think it's pretty clear that USC had better players. Now, they made some mistakes, and, you know, there's stuff on the players and stuff too, but you got to put them in the right position. And it you just didn't seem like, yeah. yeah. It yeah. seemed like they could have done a better job could on, have done on all better, aspects, and yeah. all you know, all three phases.
1: Yep, yeah, makes sense. Okay, now before we go to Jeremiah from Snake like, Taylor, since you're new to the show, I have to, like, prep you a little bit. Oh, okay. He's a friendly troll caller. So... Uh, is he a troll? Isn't uh, that a troll? I mean, he's going to say something about me saying that. But let's just go to, to Jeremiah. You just leave make leave, leave
3: Jeremiah alone. <laughs> yeah.
1: Hello, Jeremiah. You're alive. Yeah, leave Jeremiah alone. <laughs> leave, leave Jeremiah alone is goddamn right.
0: Thank you, Taylor Made. And by the way, you were Taylor made to be in this profession. You are a damn good announcer. Jeremiah from Snake Lake. How the hell is everybody?
3: What's going hey, on, man? man? <laughs>
0: What's going on, man is right. That is right. You're all right. Now, I am not calling. Yeah, I'm doing good, but I'm depressed as hell. I haven't <laughs> left this bed in twenty four hours. Hey. I'm sitting here with a bottle of jack and a revolver and hey. it's just hard. Hey I, man, so be safe.
3: Going. Put that in safe. Yeah. Yeah. Hey
0: ma- No, well no, no, don't worry. We got enough Jack Daniels. It's cool. We're not <laughs> gonna run out. It's fine. It's fine. I'm safe, baby. I'm safe. I but got I you. am not calling like the glass guy to vent or talk about puberty. How the hell did shaving come up tonight? I'll never know. No. But here's my thing. My question is for the greatest of all time, but Paula Blue's not there. So my yeah. question is for Taylor Or, or May. Ronnie Lott. Taylor May Or Ronnie Lott. That's right. Yeah, or I Ace got you. What them. them All right, baby. You are my all-time favorite player, and I just got to know, offenses, well, they knew better than to come over the middle because you will have that head, and you will eat that liver, and you'll eat that kidney. And yeah, they I got do to. Better.
3: Yeah, they knew. Yeah, you got they knew to not throw a ball in the No, oh, they do better,
0: baby. They knew but better. You, but you have what to earn is, that respect. Question, yes, you and you, you earned earn it. That you earned it with 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 ambulances. You <laughs> earned it. You earned it with ER visits. You know? And I loved it. But my question, ironically, is for Taylor May, because if Max Brown was there, that would be very odd. My question for you: What's the hardest hit? You ever laid on somebody?
1: Jeremiah from Snake Lake, out of
2: here. All right. Thanks, Jeremiah. Wow.
1: All-time call He had a little,
2: a little energy. He had a lot of energy. up of.
1: for you, Taylor.
3: La- maybe we need to get him to talk to the team. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: maybe. Let's see if we can set it up. He'll get those guys right. Maybe half a bottle of Jack, and we'll help him keep the revolver at home. Oh, boy, yeah. Yeah, yeah hopefully. It's, it's sp- worried me a little well, bit. I don't yeah. I've called myself squirt gun initially, so maybe true. it's a squirt gun revolver. True,
3: true. Okay. Yeah. You never yeah. know. Yeah, true. With Jack in it. Yeah, there you, oh, go. there you go. That's right? a winning combo. You're How not even that that a drinker. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't know, but I, I, that's what I'm saying. It just makes <laughs> sense, right? Okay. Okay.
1: Yeah.
2: So well, hardest hit. Do you remember one? I, I feel like we talked about this. No, last I, time I, we I the can tell you what it was. Okay. It
3: was uh, we played Stanford and Toby Gearhart, who's a monster truck. Yeah. Uh, in a human number two body. in the Heisman, right? Yeah, yeah, he ran a uh, like a 68 pitch around the outside, and I kind of just came from like 12 yards, and I ran full. speed. I ran full speed into him and I just wait to see what happened. And I didn't know if I was going to win this battle cuz he's a big back. And what ended up happening was I hit him and Ray Maluga actually hit him at the same time, but it looked like I really hit him <laughs> just cuz with how fast it happened. Right. So I so when I got up, I looked and I was kind of uh, I got up and I looked and he was on his back. So I was like, "Well, I didn't I didn't yeah. think that was going to happen cuz he's a big back." And then, um, so I was kind of like yapping to him in his ear, and then I went back to the huddle, and I was like, and I was kind of thinking, like, man, that that probably took a couple years off my life right there, because <laughs> you can't just run into monster trucks like that and expect to live forever. But I don't expect to live forever, and I'm okay with it. That's funny that you would think that, well, there you know you that might have taken a couple years. <laughs> that might have took a
2: couple years off my life. I do love the attitude though, because it's like when you—I think the first time you were on, when you were like, okay, you're a big guy, whatever, you can run fast. You want to run as fast as you can at somebody who's this big, strong person running in the other direction, and then you just kind of leave it up to chance. You just (laughs) leave leave it up to math. You know, you just leave it up to like I. Hopefully, I did some extra like bench presses, and maybe that's that's going to help me in this situation. Some power cleans. Hopefully, that guy hasn't been. Drinking too many, like, protein shakes lately. And yeah, we're just going to see saying. what happens. We're just yeah. going
3: to see. We're just going to
2: – I can live with that. I can live with what happens after that. Yeah. <laughs> like, is Gerhard still in the league? I don't know. He was with the Vikings for he a while. He was with the
3: Vikings. We played against him when I was in uh, Cincinnati. But I don't know if he still is, but he he's a great player. He's a great person too, so.
2: Yeah, I think he was, like, backing up Adrian he Peterson. Up, yeah, and then, like, uh, uh, for a while. Yeah. 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 So I thought he was pretty good in the yeah, pros but then
1: yeah. um, Well, to wrap this up and bring this full circle um, – I think the big question people asked us after the Stanford game was, did this win, this huge win, change your game, your season predictions, your win-loss record? Now, coming back after this BYU loss, did this game change how you feel how the season will go? And does it change what you think might might happen to Helton's job? I know there's been developments that Lynn Swan resigned and whatnot. What do you think happens as far as Clay Helton and the rest of the season?
2: I'm not going to revise my... My I predicted seven and five. So of our, our whole staff, I was the most pessimistic, I guess you would say. Dan was more optimistic at ten and two. After Fresno State, I felt pretty I'm like, that's probably about where they land. Then after at Stanford, I'm like, eh, they could go eleven and one. Like I really felt like mm-hmm. I honestly felt like this this team has the talent. If they play like that, they're gonna crush people. Yeah. Now I feel pretty good about the seven and five. It's probably gonna be somewhere in the middle. I mean, this next stretch, going 0 and three is not, you know, out of the you gotta win, you know, it'd be if you're USC, you want to win at least a couple of those games. Yeah. you can't really expect to go three and zero. If you do, that's that's amazing. But you you can't go zero and three. I mean, I no. don't know. And yeah. but I, I feel like though, like like Taylor was saying, with the fuses lit, the clock is ticking. Like you're already coming off a five and seven season. You just don't have any room for error. The changes were made. You know, Lin Swan made that full speech about, and he's you know he's no longer there. But changing the culture, changing the discipline, mm-hmm. changing the staff, changing the personnel. Uh, all, all the penalties, all that stuff he said to change. it's like, you made changes. Probably not, you know, maybe not enough that we were saying at the time. But now it's like the time to, to bear fruit. Like, you have to perform now. You can't yeah, say just, it's a young team. Yeah. You can't say it's a freshman quarterback. That, that's the quarterback you recruited. Mm-hmm. He beat out guys that you've been coaching for the last couple of years that you recruited. So that's still, to me, on. you. I don't think there's any excuses. So if you make some epic run, cool. If not, it's probably going to be time for a change, just in my opinion.
1: Yeah,
3: No, I liked where the team was after the Stanford game. Uh, it's just natural in football. You're going to have tests like what happened in the BYU game. Uh, I'm a moving forward person. I want to see what the team does moving forward. And I, I'm happy that we're playing Utah this week because I think it's a great opportunity for our guys to show what they're about as people and what they're about as football players. Yeah, We can come out and play toe to toe with Utah and really still establish ourselves and show obviously who we are as football program but who these gar- who these guys are this season on this football team. They can still come out and do that this game and silence everybody from this entire week after this BYU game. That can still happen. Or they can take the other route and do what they did against BYU. And just kind of, like you said, what's been happening, is, you know, are they having flashbacks of last year and falling back into that mindset? That's the other thing that happened. And I would really hope and press our coaches to really press it into these guys and say, hey, we got to go for it. And yep. hopefully that's what happens. Yeah. Yep. Can't leave anything. There's no, You're not leaving anything. on the th- You just have to go. Yep. Like you said, you got to go for they, it. Hey, yeah. leave it all out there. They say leave it all out there. I mean, take everything you got and just you, there's no return flight. Yep. Yeah. What did Keely say earlier? Balls to the wall? You just gotta do that. That's right? what you said, right? Oh, I, said, sure. I thought you said that. Uh, okay. no,
1: he's such a troll. Can I
2: say that on
3: the on I don't YouTube? know, but no. I'm not no comment. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, boss man, since it's a short week, everyone uh practice Monday and Tuesday. You, it's just everything shifted up a week. Uh Thursday will be an off day. So, Ryan, what is our schedule for tunnel vision? That's a
2: very good question. Um do we wanna do Wednesday or we wanna do Thursday? I think, think
1: we should probably do Wednesday.
2: Let's do uh, Wednesday. We'll do Wednesday then. So we'll do Tunnel Vision. We'll move it up a day. Wednesday, Thursday, like we mentioned, will be our uh, pregame show that Keely and Taylor do a great segment. We got Chris Trevino on. Me and Shotgun will be on. Uh, we'll have interviews from practice and stuff. So make sure you check that out uh, on our podcast page and stuff. We'll put this up. since uh, I'm sorry that uh, Facebook didn't go live. So I'll, I'll, I'll yeah. download this and upload this to Facebook manually. So if you're a Facebook fan, you can get it on that. We'll put it up as a podcast as well. 'Cause we went a long, long we time. It's a pretty long show. Yeah, we had a lot We appreciate Taylor it. for coming yeah, on. Yeah, of course. And, and, Taylor, and thank you so time.
1: much. People really liked your analysis, so thanks so much for coming in.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. No, it's, it's great. I mean it's awesome too. Uh I'm I'm happy that I've got to spoke uh speak to Jeremiah. Yeah. So he's he's pretty special. my night. Yeah. Right? My night. Yep. Wherever Snake Lake is. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Snake, Lake. Snake Lake. I'm yeah. going to look it up when I get home. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Alrighty, that's going to wrap it up. Uh, I'm Keely. That's Taylor. That's Ryan. We will see you on Wednesday. Make sure you note that that schedule change. Uh, but we'll see you then. See ya. Bye.
2: See ya. Thanks. Thank you. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.